Hey, Ryan. Hello. What's going on, buddy? Everything. Yes, seriously, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Everything that could be going on is going on. Yeah, it's uh, that quote I've probably quoted before from Hokai Sobel. Uh, He had a tweet. He once said, uh, don't worry, it's just everything and everyone happening all at once. And sometimes it makes me chuckle and sometimes it's like, ugh. Today, it's a little bit more one of those, ugh, moments. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've got a quote, quote, too, from the great 20th century uh, prophet sage Jim Morrison. Perfect. The, uh, the, uh, the future is uncertain and the end is always near. Ah, lovely. And, and that's, that's what we're great. here to talk about today is yeah. uh, uncertainty. Yes. Because, man, there sure is a lot of it going around these days, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's perfect timing. Actually, it was great that it just came up. Um, you know, last time we did politics, right? And that was like good timing because it was Super Tuesday and all that. I think two things for me bring up uh, uncertainty. And I think it probably does for a lot of listeners. But one is for most for most everybody who's a progressive, <laughs> which is a lot in their life, not feeling awesome today, <laughs> one way or another, regardless of what you think about the strategy is from here, that's feeling pretty depressive because... Uh, Warns out, and then uh, Bernie is not looking hot. We'll we'll see if that final nail is in the coffin uh, today. So there's uncertainty there, and then the coronavirus uncertainty, which then impacts world markets, right, and the Dow and everything. So uncertainty feels up, super relevant for. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely in the air, and um, you know, I think that people are are struggling to find a way to to respond to all this because it's a lot. And, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, um, it's always that much more challenging when there's, when we're sort of subject to this, when there's nothing that we can directly do in mm-hmm. order to make things better. I mean, these are, these are forces that are so much larger than we are. And we just kind of get, you know, caught in the crossfire and we have to make the best of it, basically. We have to do our best to find our own inner resilience and, yeah. you know, a word we've been using a lot lately, anti-fragility, mm-hmm. um, in order to find a way to not just endure, but, you know, hopefully even thrive. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's tricky because the entire construct of the ego is, I mean, the, the reason we have an ego in the first place is to bring order to chaos. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we seek comfort, we seek pleasure, we seek ways of minimizing uncertainty, however possible. Yeah. And, yep. you know, when we have to actually begin to sort of accept uncertainty and deal uh-huh. with uncertainty, I mean, that kind of brings in its own ego death in its own, yes. in its own sort of way. Yes. I, I'm glad you brought it to that point of the ego death because... I think that's really important to when, when the level of uncertainty that we experience, whether that's just subjectively where we're feeling that, or it also seems objectively in the exterior is that there's a lot of uncertainty that for me, it's really important to, to let that be to like really inhabit the uncertainty, allow uncertainty to be what it is rather than necessarily blasting past it. So like, I think there's a threshold, like if the uncertainty is low enough, you know, and then, okay, maybe I can automatically respond. I can do something. I don't have to just sort of like overly bake and, and stew in the uncertainty, but when it rises high enough, like I've been feeling now, like just me personally, like some of the things I, I mentioned, like coronavirus, I feel like actually personally, not that uncertain about, um, it, you know, uh, in my life. But the thing is, is like, I know for you in your situation, right? How does that come up? How do you, how are you feeling in that, uh, in that whole, uh, 
this unthing, uh, unfolding right now. But then also like with uh, the election, it's up super high for me. And all I can do is just say, well, here I am. And for me, like letting go is the first bit. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything about it, but I have to let go first. Mm-hmm. I have to let go before I can adapt or before I can respond. So for me, letting go, adapting and responding is like, is the, the sequence there. But right now it's like, if I fight it, if I fight the uncertainty, then I surely won't adapt very well. And I sure as hell am going to respond much less. So yeah, like I, that's why I say like, let it, let it be here where it's not to say like, let it collapse and like take us and pull us under um, because that's not actually letting uncertainty be either. To right. Me. That's, that's kind of going unconscious to it, but like staying present and like, here we are in the uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's why I like this frame of actually inhabit your uncertainty because it's mm-hmm. not just managing uncertainty sort of outside of yourself. Yeah. A lot of that uncertainty is, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's these forces that are pressing down on us and kind of squishing us like a bug. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so again, we are kind of subject to it, but yeah. allowing ourselves to actually take this in, you know what I mean? And not, not keep this uncertainty at arm's length, I think is, yeah. is, um, is, is a really powerful invitation uh, to deepen our mm. practice. Yeah. You know? I think so too. Yeah. And as you said that, um, the question comes up, what, what happens if I sit with uncertainty long enough in this way that we're talking about with like presence, uh, compassion, wisdom, you know, not, not just um, falling victim to it. But usually for me, like some of the, the one thing that comes up is uh, tenderness, you know, heartbreak, wow. genuine heartbreak, which is really important because honestly, what I've seen gets stirred up a little bit in the last month because of the elections, for sure, the elections, much less. I still stand by my, my statement of last time that it feels much less than three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, the reactivity. When we don't send that uncertainty, I think we react in really unhelpful ways and really uh, strategic ways that are um, lacking. <laughs> mm. But if I can sit long enough and allow my heart to break with that uncertainty, then something can move and then who knows how I'm going to respond. But I, I feel like I and we can respond a little bit better. But it's tough, especially yeah. when there's like multiple things stacking on top of each other, you know, and when it's when it's three years, you know, for a lot of folks, three years of Trump, then primary is not feeling great, then coronavirus and markets and economies crashing all that adds up to a lot where it's just like whoa right <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's a there's sort of a um a loop that i think we get caught into where yeah. um we try to avoid uncertainty mm-hmm. and you know i i think the strategy most of us use to avoid uncertainty is habituation we habituate ourselves we fall into certain patterns that give us some sense of comfort and maybe even illusion of control yeah. over our lives Yep. And, you know, but the ironic thing is that habituation in that comfort actually kind of paves over our empathy, right? Yeah. I mean, it paves over our authentic empathy. So I think that this is, yeah. you know, the, the opportunity of uncertainty mm. is that it's, it's an invitation to grow. And, you know, just like I think um, growth across the board, the main sort of accelerant for growth is stress and pain. Mm. People are not known to grow proactively because i'm in a good mood today it's usually we're you know we're 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 backed up against a wall in a certain kind of way Mm. and we're forced to respond we're forced to move forward 
Um, That's the opportunity in all of this uncertainty is that there's an opportunity for us to actually begin imagining beyond our habituations, Mm -hmm. both Mm -hmm. in terms of our lives and in terms Mm -hmm. of the the possible directions that we can, we can take this world in. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, I think it's the, the uncertainty is sort of, you know, breaking the ice in a certain kind of way and is allowing us to, um, you know, replenish our imaginations, if anything. But, you know, yeah. the, here's the thing about stress and pain is it's, it's, it's kind of um, like any other medicine. It's all in the dosage, you know? Yep. The right amounts of stress, the right amounts of pain can produce astonishing results in terms of our, our ongoing growth and our waking up and our cleaning up and all that. Right. But too much of it, right? Mm-hmm. Too much stress, too much yes. pain. And it, you know, it, it, it can break you. It can yeah. actually, it can actually result in uh, uh, a series of really negative habituations um, that are sort of uh, a reaction to traumas mm-hmm. um, and don't necessarily have a lot of, you know, healing quality to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the balance is how do we, how do we allow in enough uncertainty mm-hmm. to keep us moving forward, right? To keep us sort of um, on our feet. Yeah. And uh, to, to, to keep us from avoiding falling into these same old routines, mm-hmm. creature comforts, um, how, can we, how, how can we allow just enough uncertainty in? And then what are the strategies that we use to sort of uh, to face mm. the uncertainty we can't let in right now mm-hmm. with a little bit more resilience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, even in what you just said there, there's a question that bring in a question inherently embraces uncertainty. And so what is the balance, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a step that can be, uh, that we can ask ourselves as a way to engage with uncertainty is to say, well, where is the line for me? Where is too much? Where is, you know, what is too much? How do I know that it's too much to like ask that in an embodied way? That's part of inhabiting it. So there's ways to find out because otherwise we can make an assumption, you know, like, well, why do we say it's too much? How do we know that? You know, and then, and, I, and then when it reaches that line, what do I do? What's my response to that? How do I adapt? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, a few practices came up for me of, of engaging uncertainty more. One is, I mean, obviously like what we're doing right now is to just simply acknowledge what's going on. Mm. And one practice that um, we use for uh, quite a bit over in Buddhist Geeks training is social noting that Vince, Horn um, and Kenneth Folk have really pioneered is um, what is it? What is it called? Social noting. It's it's noting is a practice in the Vipassana tradition. um, That's really common, but you would do it normally internally in in noting body sensations and feeling states and mind states, things like that. But you do it out loud. And we always start the trainings with there is uncertainty. There is curiosity. There is seeing there is thinking. And it's really it's cool because it's so simple it's really powerful to do in a group, but even by yourself, it could be useful. So the goal here is just to say, I'm not going to do anything except for acknowledge and inhabit my experience in this moment. We're not trying to solve anything. Even to say there is seeking, you know, there, there is longing, there is anger, you know, there's discomfort. That's a really simple practice that can, that for me is a place to start. The other is if we already feel, if I already feel uh, super worn down or agitated, always go with the settling practice as a first step, for example, of just 
like we've done the embodiment uh, meditation that I've led, I think maybe in the first or second episode of Inhabit, that's a simple one where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do anything except for get settled. Let my mind come, come to a little bit more stillness and openness, get in my body, and then I'm going to respond. Hmm. So for me, these are two first steps, like just acknowledging what is happening for me in this moment, acknowledging what's happening for us and just let that be for a minute. And to even see, like if we, if I think combined with embodiment, it's really powerful because the question is like, well, when do I stop knowing? When do I stop just inhabiting, acknowledging? When do I start acting? Well, I think if we're really present in ourselves and our body, something will naturally emerge and something will naturally shift where it's like, okay, now there's mm -hmm. a response. Um, beyond that, uh, for me, I would say I would start for me, I still want to start there, especially when the uncertainty is starting to max out and things are agitated and getting foggy or just reactive, like electricity or, or fire burning, right? Just filling our minds do that first is settling. But then next for me is uh, inquiry because inquiry is like a bridge between uncertainty and response. Right. So I can sit with the uncertainty. I'm embracing it. That, but that's why I'm asking a question. I'm not asking it rhetorically. <laughs> um, uh, and, but responses were arise. So last week in the interval metadharma training, we did um, embodied social inquiry where we asked the question, what is needed? And all you do in that practice is you, you sit and you and I could do this. We, um, we would say, what is needed? What is needed? We would just do it spontaneously. And then later we can give a response of one to two words. What is needed? Don't know. What is needed? Nothing. What is needed? Love. What is needed? And so that's a meditative practice where you can sit in the uncertainty with inquiry and let the question steep over and over. Let a response come up. You know, so that moves towards like it, it involves, we need some sort of conscious process and practice for uncertainty, you know, rather than saying something like a meme quote, just let go and be, you know, it's right. like, okay. Let's go with the flow, dude. Yeah. Or act now, you know, yeah. like or, shit's going down, you know, which we can have. It's not just saying that we can't say and do those things, but how do we work with uncertainty? So for me, those are a couple practices that I find really useful. Yeah, no, that, that is tremendously useful. And, you know, and of course, when it comes to um, inhabiting and then managing uncertainty, um, there's all sorts of practices that we can draw on in all four quadrants. And I like that you started where you did in the upper left with sort of, um, you know, let's clear a space here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where, where this can actually just, we can allow this to unfold and we can allow ourselves to respond however we need to respond. There's no correct response when it comes to this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, each of us is going to sort of find different ways of managing and coping and inhabiting and all that yeah. just in very unique ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important for us to start sort of on the level of, of well, as you just did, let's, let's create a container here, just a nice, clear, calm container where we can just start putting this onto the table. And then once we do start putting this on the table, <clears throat> I think there's all sorts of um, opportunities to deepen our practice again in all four quadrants. Because, yeah. you know, even sticking in the upper left, I mean... There are, there's emotional reactions, some of which we're aware of, some of which we're not aware of that are just kind of chunking along in the back. We can work with that. There's a, you know, um, there's a, a, a certain amount of clarity or cloudiness of thinking that comes along, you know, when, when we're in these sort of amped up reactive states, mm -hmm. we can work with that. 
Um, you know, I've been noticing, you know, some funny little coping um, practices coming up, self-care practices coming online in recent weeks. Like, um, I noticed that I've been watching a whole lot more uh, ASMR videos. Familiar with those? What, what is that? What, no. So ASMR, I'm trying to remember what it stands for, but ASMR is, um, apparently there's a certain subset of people for whom certain frequencies trigger a nervous system response. You feel the tingles, you know what oh, I mean? So. Yeah. So the ASMR videos, they're kind of goofy, but it's, uh-huh. um, it's usually like pretty girls whispering things into a binaural microphone that is just very relaxing. Huh. I find tremendously relaxing. Wow, and very it, interesting. It sets, we'll check those out. Yeah, you, you should. I'll send you some, I'll send you some videos. Um, cool. And I, you know, pretty cool. Guys do ASMR, celebrities do a, a, yeah. uh, ASMR uh-huh. videos. It's out there. But I noticed that I've been like, oh, about an hour or so before I go to bed, um, I've been you know, putting in my headphones and, and kind of closing my eyes and just allowing, you know, not on the spiritual level, not in, and not any of this sort of like high minded stuff, just allowing my nervous system to, you know, discharge for a little yeah. while. Just yeah. Chill. Yep. And, you know, just to go back to that, like the practice of noting social noting of, of there is um, that, and there's a whole bunch of different versions here of this. This is just one version, but if we're doing it in a group, it's not just up, upper left, it's actually a lower left because what happens is we do it together and then our, our responses or inquiry, same deal. Like we start, something happens in the lower right. left. And then there's ways like, you know, that it can be directed to the exterior. So for example, even the upper left, like there is tingling, there is sleepiness, there is et cetera, et cetera. And then same thing towards like the situations we see, you know, like right. we can direct our attention and then, incorporate that into those kind of practices. So for me, I, I, I like these incremental extensions from the nebulosity of uncertainty, right? So like, how can I start with uncertainty and like chaos and nothingness, you know, and start inching towards all the quadrants, for example, in all the directions, but without blasting over there, because I think for, for passionate folks, especially I think in the integral community who are going to be paying attention to big pictures, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole point of the show that we've been doing over and over, it's very easy to quickly go to extrapolating data and information and experiences phenomena into a cohesive whole and towards responses, you know, that's, it's, it's almost like it's one strategy of dealing with uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. Every, one, everything in one could say, place, right? one could call that a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, I think that's really useful. I mean, I mean, what we're doing with Buddhist Geeks with Integral Metadharma, that's why we're doing it that way. We're intentionally doing it through that kind of framework. Um, so it's not that I consider that bad. It's just sort of like, I'm glad we're doing this episode now. I'm glad it didn't come up before. Because yeah. I'm like, right now, I, I feel like most of the people in this community and ourselves are be feeling it. It's going to be peaking. Not that we're not going to get lots of opportunities the rest of the year to like... <laughs> feel that but i think there's enough distance i think there's enough distance for example from the election right which is the biggest probably trigger thing right now at least for the united states um you know there's enough space for us to just wallow in the uncertainty um versus like the more it gets closer the more it's going to be like yeah 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 and this again kind of brings us back to the you know conversations we've been having which you know all of the conversations we have inform sort of following conversations which is one of the things i really enjoy about this show all these lessons kind of build on each other um but you know we've been talking a lot about about um you know this concept of anti-fragility 
and how, you know, at, at the outset, what anti-fragility is not is it's not actually anti-fragility. It's, it's simply trying to find a, um, a, a, a better way to respond to the real world fragilities that we're facing mm-hmm. without falling apart, without panicking and without going the other end and putting our, our head in the sand. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for integralists, um, this kind of, you know, again, I, I kind of describe it as a hurts more, bothers you less. Right. My fragility. Yeah. Um, and I, it feels like that is absolutely key for going into, you know, these sorts of uncharted waters. Yes. Um, because there's a lot that's going to hurt. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there just is. When I read about, you know, the Corona cases and I read about, you know, the vulnerable populations yeah. who, are, who are being um, in the families that are being just terribly affected by this. And, yes. um, and, I, and I see, you know, communities that are just um, trying as hard as they can to stay composed and not panic, mm-hmm. right? Including, yeah. you know, including our, like our transplant community. Just people yeah. are, are really trying as hard as they can. Mm-hmm. There's right on that edge, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and doing the best that they can not to panic. And um, there's an element of this, again, that, that is painful. And I think we need to let that in and we need to, to, yeah. to find, you know, sort of the, the capacity, the unmovable mountain within ourselves that can let this in without getting blown over by the intensity. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. I, the, yeah, it hurts more. And distance, right? Yeah, intimacy and distance. And so I was thinking two things. One is the, um, one of my favorite quotes that I use all the time uh, from Dogen, enlightenment is intimacy with all things. So enlightenment's not just completely a, a sort of detached transcendence of all things, but actually in, more intimacy with all things. Mm-hmm. And so like when we talk at the beginning about a, a noting practice, like there is, that's intimacy with what's arising, yet it's done in a spacious way, right? Observing, you know, uh, and uh, same thing with the inquiry. Um, but then for me, you know, with my work in waking life, one of the phrases I use a lot is there's room for everything. And so practicing something like meditation individually together can provide us that spaciousness. But if we do it in a particular way, like for example, through embodiment, we stay intimate. So mm-hmm. we do both at the same time allow the spaciousness and the intimacy. So that's why for me, like the question is like, how can I do both at the same time? And that doesn't mean that like intimacy doesn't mean like, Oh, I'm so hands-on with, with whatever I'm being intimate with and I'm working on it, you know, because sometimes we just need to breathe. Like you said, like, okay, how can I breathe, you know, with this, but not doing it in a detached way, (laughs) because really actually that can be exhausting in and of itself because we're trying to set up some sort of causes and conditions that would make me be out of touch with what's arising, which is impossible. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and I was thinking, Ryan, maybe one of the things that we could do is um, take a quick look at uh, something that our friend Rob Smith recently oh, yeah. came up with on the site. So um, Rob is actually going to be starting his, uh, his own series here on Integral Life, which oh, cool. um, I believe we're going to call the Transformation Age. Nice. Uh, and he's really excited for it. Um, That's awesome. And we actually had our first entry conversation in uh, in that series last week. And I encourage you know guys go check it out. It was a, it was a really really great conversation. Um, it's on integrallife.com on the homepage. So uh, he recently came up with uh, this sort of four quadrant approach to um, basically integral preparedness. 
mm-hmm. uh, preparing for social disruption. But really, I think that this easily, um, you know, lends itself to, uh, a, you know, four quadrant ways to handle uncertainty in any form, um, mm-hmm. social, personal, what have you. So mm-hmm. let me just pull this up real quick. Yeah. Try to share this and not my embarrassing ASMR videos. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Um, like I said, it's on the Integral Life homepage. You can check this out. Mm-hmm. Um, integral preparation for a time of rapid social change. So what Rob did, and he'll be going over this in his own show, um, I think that he's going to do later on this week. So, so um, keep an eye out for that. But he basically, uh, you know, covers this with four approaches. There's mindful attendance in the upper left, abundant service in the lower left, readiness in the upper right, and resilience in the lower right. And to see what it means by each of these, uh, mindful attendance, this is, you know, much of what we've been talking about today would fall into um, some of these suggestions, daily Mm -hmm. affirmations, Mm-hmm. Um, being aware of devolving towards fear, practicing gratitude, committing to helping others. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really, really rich stuff here. I'll just kind yeah. of scroll through slowly so people can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you, that slides into the lower left, um, just as your, your social noting practice does, yep. through the practice of abundant service. Mm-hmm. Daily commitment to service, looking for opportunities to set examples, staying connected. Um, again, really uh, prioritizing intimacy, um, helping those around us, helping your kids understand this in sort of developmentally appropriate ways, and really becoming a role model um, for the sorts of resilience and optimism and love that we're looking for in the world at large. Yeah. And in the upper right, he's got some basic advice on readiness, mm-hmm. um, you know, have four weeks of emergency food. We're up to about two weeks in our freezer in the garage right now. It's, oh, always, nice. a, it's always a good idea to have, you know. Rob made a really good point in our call. He goes, you know, people will easily throw money down in all sorts of insurance, right? Warranty, right. what have you. You go to Best Buy and it's, you know, $50 and this will cover this for three years. And it's like, yeah, okay, no brainer. And yet when it comes to like buying $500 worth of survival gear, which is like, you know, sort of your yeah. old insurance policy. Yep. Well, you know, kind of um, look at you a little bit funny, like you're about to move to Montana yeah, sure. and, you know, dig out a bunker. <laughs> but having some yeah. basic supplies on hand is a really good idea because you never know. I mean, this isn't just social disruption. This is, you know, a point I made. We could have a random solar flare that cuts, you know, our power grid for two weeks and chaos yeah. happens. It's, it's good to, to be prepared. Um, basic health suggestions, maintain a supply of healthcare mm-hmm. items. Um, Fun, buy games, book. I mean, you know, bring a little bit of levity. Make that, you know, a priority um, in your preparedness. And then uh, basic resilience strategies in the lower right quadrant, um, considering how this has become a big issue in America right now. Um, How many of us have the opportunity to work from home if we need to, if we need to begin to really self-quarantine? Obviously, the ability to work from home uh, would be much less dis, you know disruptive to our lives yeah. um you know italy for example they who are yeah. they're, they're just shutting down the country basically but they're actually uh um allowing people to skip paying their mortgage payments until mm. they'll figure it out just oh, as sort of a, a way to take some some economic pressure off 
Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to build a savings to withstand no income for 24 months. I think that's a reach for most of us probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, some really great suggestions here. Rob is going to be uh, diving into this more fully uh, in just a few days. So keep an eye out for that. But I want to share this you know, yeah, with, with our audience. A couple, couple of quick thoughts on this too. Um, yeah, go for it. One, I, uh, I, I, I agree that I think it's kind of cool to, and good to think about the, that upper right readiness uh, uh, bit. And I have it on my list to kind of do. And uh, there's a great video on Wired. Uh, called How to Pack for the Apocalypse from Brent Rose. Hmm. Um, and really great video. It goes over all the gear that um, he's put into a, a bug out bag. So that's, I don't know if people have heard that term, but a bug out bag is a terminology used in military and things like that. But basically you just have supplies ready if you needed to bug out somewhere and leave. But it also could be, I mean, you don't ha- you don't have to leave your home, but maybe things don't work there and you have everything you need in this bug out bag. So I kind of want one of those things. I agree that the money is like, you know, no different than spending on insurance. It's interesting though, in those quadrants, so like that upper right one was like really focused on more of a bug out situation. And so uh, I'd be curious about that for, for Rob, about like if, if that, if all the quadrants were painted in bug out terms. Hmm. Um, Cause some of like the lower left one was less bug out but still really useful. Like I could see two versions of that thing, like the bug out version, like shit hits the fan. Like the situation where I'm going to use that bug out thing that I have. (laughs) And then what do I do with that? And uh, because it's interesting, what's the bug out bag of the upper left, you know, metaphorically speaking, that's kind of cool. Um, The other thing though, I think it brings up. Yeah. So the one is how do I deal with uncertainty of, you know, catastrophic apocalyptic level? How do I, how can I prepare for that? Or if I'm in it, how do I deal with that? But then also, uh, what's, the, what's the word I want to use? How to change the course of events such that I don't need it, that I and we don't need a bug out bag for the future. <laughs> well, that'd like be how, preferable. Yeah. Uh, but like thinking in some of these radical terms, so for example, like in the, in the, that lower right-hand corner, uh, thinking about like, oh, 24 months of savings, which is like, yeah, like I don't know hardly anybody who yeah. ha- has that, including people who make decent, decent livings with the economy, the way it is, it's just too hard. But for example, um, uh, the, something that Vince has been really uh, focused on is the Buddhist geeks farm, which is an idea to create a, uh, a farm, but it's a, it's a retreat environment too, uh, where there's practice environment and a farm, but eventually have a vision where people can live on, in this community ind- independently, interdependently use all the same food and get the cost of living down to a thousand dollars a month, for example. And then if you imagine a future where we have a UBI that covers that cost this is an idea, you know what I mean? This is not saying like, this is the idea, but like that way of thinking of like, how do we become more resilient? Can we do that in this moment, even though the systems aren't changing are the ways that we can think differently amongst each other that can create a more resilient environment while the system is shaky and feeling crappy. And the bug out bag is one option, right? So like the bug out bag is like, well, okay, how do I and my family survive something catastrophic? But how do we do that? together you know too yeah. as well like what are some systems we can set up in place like if it was not just you think about that Corey, but you and i are thinking about it, right that's okay two of us two two families thinking like how do we <laughs> yeah deal with no, that it's, it's definitely it's definitely a, you know it's the same polarity that we see when we're on an airplane and the oxygen masks drop because the plane's yeah, going yeah. down you know right. what the first thing they say is okay 
put, you know, put this on your own face before you put it on your kids. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. You're going to be of no help, you mm -hmm. know, to your kid. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think that there's sort of that kind of polarity with this. And I want to be clear with people that, you know, it's because we're talking about bug out bags and, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, <laughs> we're not reacting to this at, you know, we're not wearing sandwich boards, walking down main street with a bell. No, I, you know, I think that's the funny thing though, that the, the sense of that, that we would have to say that because our tone and how we're talking, our nonverbals here are communicating that we're not like sandwich boarding it right, know, right now, but the but fact that's the is connotation. That, yeah, but it, I don't think it should be like, that's the funny right. thing. It's sort of like if we buy, ins we buy insurance for catastrophic things, but we're not worried necessarily that, Oh, that'll happen. You know, that's with, right. Like we want better, uh, better medical care and health care insurance in this company, not uh, in this country, not because we were like, oh, necessarily I'm having emergency day, but it's like, well, shit happens. So yeah. we'd like to be prepared for it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, exactly. We're not telling you to get this stuff because we think you're going to need it inevitably for the zombie apocalypse to, to happen. We're basically saying that having resource like this at hand is of tremendous psychological benefit. Yeah. Like anything else, just knowing you've got that safety net Mm -hmm. sitting in a freezer in your garage in my case um just you know yeah, allows totally. your mind to relax a little bit more okay if shit does hit the fan i don't think it's gonna the odds of shit hitting the fan that badly are pretty slight you know but if it does um i i, I know that i've got some resources at hand and that is uh yeah. just tremendously beneficial well, psychologically it's just I something agree. you know you can kind of put a cork in it and the, the cost benefit, not just in money, but like in terms of my energy, that's a good way of, rate, of rating things. Yeah. So for example, how many people have a fire extinguisher in their house? Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't, which is just bizarre because they're not that much money and it doesn't take much, much time to have one. So right. that's an example where it's like, well, it's low cost, low energy. So why wouldn't I have one of those versus like, uh, you know, building a bunker, you know, it's like, do I need to build a bunker? Right. Like, I don't know. That might be a little much in terms of resource intensity and energy. Like people who have millions of dollars, they for them it's not cost benefits low. They're like, sure, I'm gonna have my own private bunker. You know, I've got a I've got a seven year old, so um, we watch a lot of Peppa Pig in this. Yeah, house. yeah, Peppa Pig. Yep. My daughter basically just has a British accent now. It's funny. Um, that's there's a, that's a legit phenomena. Yeah. No, I know. It's it's it, it totally is. But you know, I I uh, made a joke on Facebook a while back saying I, I want to write an episode of Peppa Pig where they move to Montana. And become like an apocalypse cult, and <laughs> that would they, be great. They changed the show to Prepper Pig. <laughs> Prepper Pig, uh, that's brilliant. I would, I would definitely watch Prepper Pig. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. Stockpiling ammunition. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, even these, we're in just weird times about like what we consider uncertain. You know. Uh, so that right now we're seeing like all of Italy quarantine itself, like the whole country quarantine itself. Uh, Harvard just announced today that they're having every, all students go leave. They're, they're required to move out uh, of Harvard by March 15th. They're going to do everything via tele. Wow. So, you know, it's interesting. And that, that just because they're doing that, actually there's some funny things about this where that I see that happening in large events like South by Southwest being canceled and Harvard doing those kinds of things. I go, Hey, you know, I don't know that it's actually a hundred percent needed, but I'm like, wow, we're taking those steps. Not bad. Yeah. That's that, that like, just because you take significant steps like that doesn't mean the world is coming down. It's like, well, we're just taking those steps to just be a little extra sure. Yep. Um, and, uh, but I think some of it's shocking a little bit because we're like, whoa, I can't believe that's happening. I, I never thought I would see 
the news notification that all Harvard students are being sent home and uh, Italy is quarantined itself. That's new. Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, that's the opportunity that actually comes with these things is that it breaks the ice just enough. And it actually, I think, reveals some of the, you know, uh, flaws in the found in some of the foundations of our civilization itself. Yeah. Once we get hit with, you know, this, this major system shock like this, yeah. Um, you, you really just start seeing how, you know, rickety <laughs> some it of is. this really is. You start seeing like, oh, okay, so this might be why we want to have conversations about universal health care. Because and, America, we're, we're yeah. just, we're prone for this. I mean, we've got people yeah. who are afraid to go to the doctor because they don't yeah. want, you know, a $3,000 um, deductible. Uh, yeah. That they can't swing, so they're not going to get tested. They can't yep. miss work because they, you know, because they don't want to get fired because they're yep. living paycheck to paycheck. All these things. All, I mean, America is just set up for this thing to spread fast and wide. Yeah, and then, um, and and the opportunity I think is we're starting to see this. We're starting to see uh, these flaws. I I agree. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing is like what how what comes up, what arises when we start. Uh, feeling uh, those flaws, the ricketiness of it. That's important. Notice that. Don't just blast past it. Like notice like how we feel about that. Let that seep in. Cause I was just thinking about going back over to the political sphere, like how much, you know, in terms of Democrats, how, how much of the, the move towards a moderate and a center sort of approach is not wanting to deal with uncertainty, mm. you know? Totally. Um, and like, even now I still see people on there, uh, you know, on Twitter and whatnot who are, they were Bernie or Warren fans and but then they still talk about being scared of what would happen if somebody like Bernie or was in there and then what would that do to the Senate and we're just such in a weird time where I'm like the uncertainty and the ricketiness of the systems for me is like I don't want to just like react to that uncertainty by just holding on to the ricketiness of a system that isn't that isn't doing its job anymore um and I know the funny thing is is like I know because we're getting the politics that's talking about strategy but like if we just pull back from that, like, and just generalize, like how much is our reaction to uncertainty to go with what is known? And is that the best response or is something new needed? And how do we know when we need stability of something familiar and known? And how do we know when something new and radically different is? And when we're talking about something new, there's going to be uncertainty. It just is, even if we're looking forward to it, if we're honest about even something exciting, that like, I'm excited for this new change. Well, there's still something we don't know. And that's in our system if we're going to be really uh, honest about it. Right. So that's why like for the uncertainty, I'm like, pull back, pull back and s- just acknowledge the full field of our experience. <laughs> well, it's funny because we have these mental models for dealing with uncertainty and we call them things like best case scenarios and worst case scenarios. Uh-huh. But the funny thing about best case And we case think scenario- we know what those are. Well, that's the point. That's exactly the point. They're all that w- the, our standards of best case and worst case are based on previous experiences. Yep. Right. So we have this little category that we use as a container for uncertainty. We call it worst case scenario. But the way we actually hold that container is completely based on our our habituated experiences. Mm-hmm. Because the worst case scenario, by its you know by its very net, you can't anticipate it. You don't know how wor- how much worse that worst case scenario can actually be. That's right. That's so right. any amount of preparation that we do around those scenarios are still, you're not actually inhabiting uncertainty. Yeah. You're not actually inhabiting. You're still 
using this as a way to it's push like it away off. a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's a, I saw one of those meme videos of like some somebody jumping off a rock into not too high up but off into a frozen lake <laughs> and it would just boom that's sort of like that's what that uh that version of going into uncertainty is like yeah <laughs> yeah <sighs> yep well we're gonna we're gonna find out i think that it's weird to call talk about silver linings in horrible situations right so i don't know what the but maybe what we're going to be learning from a lot of these difficult times we're in and the uncertainty is that maybe we will they're painful enough and uncertain enough that we'll find new ways of responding to them i mean i think that'll eventually happen i think there's that's one thing i take solace in is that like i think it's i think it's unavoidable like if shit doesn't work and we keeps not working we humans seem to acknowledge pain at a certain point (laughs) and when and say we we give as long as the quality and the quantity of that pain <laughs> is in the right dosage. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, we always grow from these things. We always do. And this is uh, just another new, you know, newly emergent stressor that's being placed on civilization mm-hmm. and civilization will reorganize in order to, to, to meet these new life conditions. The question is how painful is that reorganization? Uh, right, be? right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, like the, if I feel certainty, it's about the, where uh, where humanity will ultimately go. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I have faith in humanity still ultimately, yep. but I don't know where that ultimate time period in- right. includes my life or not. Right. <laughs> I sure would like it to. Uh, well, you know. It, you know, and politically, um, you know, these things, these things are really tough because first off, I think that we're in a bit of, um, we're in an era of uncertainty anyway, and have been for several years. And because, you know, I think there's just this background tone of of um of uncertainty because never before in history was it possible for someone like a donald trump to become president now i don't care what you think about his virtues or his vices or Mm -hmm. you know his positives or negatives the the point remains a guy like trump could not have been elected to president of this country in any other point in time in history yeah so so suddenly this is possible so suddenly we're like in this different political reality now where things seem much more uncertain than they ever did before, only because there's a certain caliber of leadership that we had come to expect, and those rules are being rewritten right now. Yeah. So that's the backdrop that all of this is kind of taking place in. It's the it's the medium. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, right. Yeah, and I, I I agree. I think like anybody, regardless of how you feel about Donald Trump, would agree that he's radical. The difference would be what what word follows that <laughs> right like i don't see how anybody just says like oh no no he's pretty common like we've had that before no matter if you're a fan or not it's like yep. radical and that means something like yeah. when you said that's significant well and the, and the problem is because you usually when we're talking about politics usually the way that we try to deal with uncertainty is to move over into a field that's very un you know that's very certain tends to be very certain which mm. is like mathematics statistics mm. Mm. um the problem is one of the things that we're, we're, I think, learning is that mathematics don't necessarily apply themselves to this political reality, right? So we're constantly asking questions yeah. like, is Bernie Sanders electable? Is he actually yeah. electable? Now, of course, the people who are firmly in his camp are like, yeah, of course he is. If Donald Trump yeah. is electable, uh-huh. then so is Bernie Sanders. Yep. And then, you know, and then the retort is, well, no, 
Donald Trump was electable to a group of people mm-hmm. <laughs> who are predisposed to electing someone like Donald Trump, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that same group of people exists on the left. Mm-hmm. In fact, if they did, Bernie probably would have had a better turnout than he did last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, th- th- I-, I think the point I'm trying to make here is that there are some things that feel uncertain that actually might have more certainty to them than we think. Mm. Um, and vice versa. There are some things yeah. that we think are sure bets that are anything but, right? Hillary Clinton felt like, to most people, a sure bet. Well, that was a lesson in uncertainty last time. Seriously. That's for sure. Seriously. <laughs> um, and and, and the, I think the point I want to make here is that people are divided in terms of the certainty and uncertainty they feel around Bernie and Biden. Yeah, there see, are people who are, you know, who, yeah. who are like staunch... They're not necessarily staunch Biden supporters, but they're like, this is, this is our path through because if Bernie Sanders gets elected, the Democrats are so freaking fragile that they're going to be conned by the right into running against Bernie Sanders. That's going to divide the left, and therefore the left has less of a chance of winning back the Senate, winning back the House, and all these down-ballot races. I, hey, I think there's an important point to be made there, right? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I, I mean that's why I, like I want to sit with these questions, like come back because right. I mean that, that those points are being brought up. And you know, I'm a pragmatist, so the thing is, is like you know we'll find out at the end of the day here. But it's I mean it seemed like Bernie is is toast at this point. We'll find out. I mean today will be very indicative. And of course, if that's the case, and it's like I'm I'm checking Biden. I'm like it's not. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if I'll watch any debates. Because I think I think to me, the two of them, even though Biden's like a miles better, it's going to be like um, that video of two Amazon Echoes talking to each other. <laughs> Sorry, I don't care like what you think about either either one of them. It's <laughs> going to be weird to me, and I'm voting hardcore for Biden for that thing. But I think that's the thing is like when we talk about uncertainty and if let's put if if what we need is are radical changes, it's not going to happen through certainty and comfort. Right. Like the first steps are going to be like, this could go real fucking bad. Yeah. Versus then I think that is a big difference. I don't know that I buy like that. There's the same degree of uncertainty for the majority of the public around someone like Biden, which is why I think he got the ticket. Right. Like he's getting the ticket is because there's a little bit more assuredness. He's, he's expressing less radical changes mm-hmm. like on paper. It's just, it's less, it's less deviation from the center. And people may say, well, that's better. That, that's that's true but i think if at a certain point is something radical is needed then we have it's going to be uncertain you know we don't know how it's going to play out and yeah I, I, I you know and we sit with the cost benefit ratio of that for sure right you know and I, i've i've heard it said that um biden might be seen as a pause to progress but he's he would also be a pause for regression oh well for sure that's why like that's why i say for me it's like it's no brainer i'm gonna vote for 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 uh, Biden, if yeah. he's got the ticket, I mean, I was going to vote for any, practically anybody who, who was who was on the ticket. That's and that'll be my that'll be my new drum. I beat after this. It's like if Biden's ticket, I'm just be like, the main thing I always say is that guess what is is Ginsburg going to be our Supreme Court justice right. for another four years? That's right. That's the that's the headline for me for the entire rest of election is that like if Trump's in four more years, he picks the 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 Supreme Court justice. There's going to be one. Dude, that's that that is the um for a generation. Yeah, no, that, that that is ultimate progressive pragmatics right there. Um, it, 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 who gets, you know, look, look what is it? Uh, RGB is is what she is in her mid eighties. We've got another Supreme uh, Briar who's in his eighties. Um, you know, yeah. if 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 Trump 
wins re-election, we're almost guaranteed a fully conservative court for oh, yeah. a generation. Um, seven to two, uh, you know, seven to two conservative court. 86. Um, She's 86. It was higher than what I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what's the, what's the uncertainty or certainty around her? What is her a, actuarial uncertainty? I mean, she is salute to her that she is a champ. I, I'm, no, she's indestructible. We just have to keep saying she's indestructible. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm going to tell myself. So anyway, yeah. yeah. For me, I was saying like on one hand, like I feel pretty passionate about embracing uncertainty and knowing that, yep. Like for me, if I'm just saying me personally, I'm like, I'm good with the burning. I don't give it. And I wouldn't give a shit about like what that means because it's like, it may look uglier for a while too. Maybe that means we don't get the Senate. Maybe, but it's just like, maybe that's just the pathway forward that no matter how this plays out, that the radical changes are going to be messy and sloppy and painful until we get to the next spot. Yeah. But he's not getting the ticket. So I'm going to be super pragmatic where I'm going to be like, well, we might not have change, but I'll go the other way. I'm like, I'll be fucking status quo for another four years. If that's like, you know, like, you know, preserves a Supreme court justice nominee. And, but what I'm actually suggesting is that what, what appears to currently be the status quo might actually be the more progressive. We might get more progressive results by going with the status quo candidate. I, I, I embrace that uncertainty about myself that like, maybe it will be a step forward. Maybe I could be wrong. At the end of the day, because again, yeah. at the end of the day, what is going to make more of a difference to progressives? Bernie getting elected with a number of ideas that he would never be able to get through Congress, mm-hmm. especially if he doesn't get the Senate, right? Yeah, yeah. Or someone who, you know, you might say is more milk toast, like a, like a Joe Biden, who <laughs> chooses the successor to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. What is going to make more of a difference to, you know, a progressive's day-to-day lives between those two options. I, I, totally agree. So I, I'm open. Like, that's why I say open with uncertainty. Like even right. in that where I'm like, I'm like, listen, maybe we will make tangible uh, steps forward. Maybe it, in retrospect, it'll turn out to be, have, have been a necessary step versus like a, you know, tripping on our shoelaces before we really get going kind of situation. It may not be that way, you know? Yep. But I think that's the point again, going back, cause I know we talked about politics last time, but like pulling back to like, how do we feel about certainty and uncertainty? And even right now in our discussion, we like find out how we can dance, right. like tangling back and forth being uncertain, certain, uncertain, certain, uncertain, certain. And that's a dance I, I welcome too. <laughs> well, and it, and it, 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 you know, in the whole conversation, I mean, um, it all makes sense to me why the left seems to be consolidating around a known quantity like Joe Biden as an, you know, sort of a social unconscious way of returning to some semblance of certainty, just not even certainty, just like yeah, minimal makes predictability. Makes sense. You yeah, know, yeah. we're, we're we've, all, we've, had, rattled. The, the, we've been rattled for a while. Now we want the familiar just to like, Jesus, can too I, much chaos. <laughs> yeah. yeah exa- can I just like breathe for, you know, give me a year or two to breathe. Makes sense. <laughs> makes know? sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that too. Yeah. yeah. We're going to find out. Are there, should we check? I don't know if we have anybody uh, streaming on, on the Zoom or on YouTube. Well, we got a couple of people. So on YouTube, uh, someone says hi from Ukraine. Um, I wish their, I name, their, name, uh, their, their name is in those Russian letters, so I can't, I can't yeah. read it. But uh, hi, Ukraine. Thanks for joining oh, us today. Yes. Uh, LP says, got his decks in the background there. Large collection Good. of Ninja Tune records. Your- yeah, yep. you know, it's 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 hard being this cool, guys. I got to tell you, it's hard being this cool. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And on Zoom with us, we've got Lawana. Hey, Lawana, you watch a lot of our shows. Let us know if you have a question or if you just want to chat a little bit. 
So raise your hand or submit a Q&A. Oh my God, I looked up hello in, in, to, in, in Ukrainian and it is the longest word with a bunch of uh, symbols that I don't know. So I can't even fake an hello in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's watching has a, a question, you can chat it yep. or raise your hand. Yep, I'm watching, uh, I'm, we're watching YouTube right now and I can check to see if anyone's on Integral Live. People may have not, maybe people wanted more certainty today. So yeah, exactly. Like uncertainty, screw that. <laughs> I'm going to Twitter. <laughs> Maybe they're going on Amazon getting their bug out bag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's another thing, guys. You know, as we're as you are um, putting together some resources for yourself or your own kind of bug out bags, don't hoard this shit. Just don't do it. It's it's ridiculous that people can't find toilet paper in a grocery store these days. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, protect yourself, you know, put the mask on yourself first, but leave some. The <laughs> leave TP some was masks funny to me. It's still kind of funny to me. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just like, I don't know if I got water, I can shower my butt, you know, like, <laughs> why do I need that much TP? Like, day, and if I don't have any water, am I really, I mean, like, I don't know. Again, it's, it's, it, Ryan, this is I showing. I get the hand sanitizer. <laughs> this is again it's it's revealing the fundamental flaws in our society and one of the flaws in american society is that we have an overdependence on toilet paper and an underdependence on bidets we are bidets <laughs> because we don't use bidet. inhabit your bidet inhabit your bidets or next episode <laughs> or else you're a barbarian i need like it's one of those things where like i want a tutorial but like how do you get a tutorial for that without it being really awkward <laughs> you know no, like, it's one of the, i've been very curious about it but i'm like i don't understand how that that's not a big mess like i like i get it's gonna be clean but how am i not walking away with just a soggy butt you know <laughs> so i'm gonna like, tell you a little story i'm gonna tell you a little story about my bidet <laughs> you have a bidet i have a bidet in my in in my personal bathroom wow but but here's that's the problem here's the problem with the bidet um, the water pressure in my bathroom uh-huh I say it's my bathroom because the girls won't go in there, um, understandably. Uh, the water pressure is way too high. <laughs> is it so, like pressure washing your ass? <laughs> Seriously, like you just, like I installed the thing and I, you know, you, you turn it on before it's just to make sure, you know, you're not getting any surprise. And it was like a fire hose. It was like it shot I'm, all the way I'm across the imagined, room. I'm just imagining like fecal matter just misting everywhere in your bathroom it's like well at least my butt's clean but <laughs> what is happening to this show we, you know the uncertainty was all gonna ultimately back to bidets it, it always leads back to bus. i'm uncertain about bidets that's what i'm saying like i don't know how they work <laughs> well it's one of those things man there's no tutorials i you feel like i gotta i gotta dry with something that's my thing like what well, am you, i drying you with dry huh you're still dry but then why didn't I just use the teepee in the first place? The point is, the point is this, Ryan. Here's how I've heard it explained. If okay. you're outside and yeah. a bird flies over you yeah. and shits on your face, yeah. what do you do? Do you grab a, 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 a paper towel and just kind of yeah, like smear it off? The thing is, is like I eat from that hole. I don't eat from the other one. <laughs> so I feel a little less particular that it's, that it's sterilized. <laughs> We have a Q&A question. Let's go to that. I hope it's about Luana uh, <laughs> says, I'm really uncertain I want to hear this TP conversation. A little too much dark anatomy here at lunchtime. More Fair seriously, enough. 
and please shut up about fecal matter. Any concerns about Biden's cognitive state? Well, hey. that's what I was saying earlier about the, the Amazon Echoes talking to each other. Yeah. No, look, I, I think there's a fair concern that the guy is uh, 70 what? <laughs> Seven, eight. Yeah, he's 77 up, up there. He's in the upper 70s, yeah. I think that there's definitely, I mean, obviously, uh, sort of across the board, there's going to be some sort of cognitive decline there. Um, you know, and the other thing is, is it is definitely made worse by the fact that Joe Biden um, has been struggling with being a stutterer um, his whole life and seems to be something that's coming back um, a little bit more in his, in his old age. Um, so that I think just kind of amplifies this perception that he's, you know, not playing necessarily with a full deck. I mean, look, I, I, I think that when it comes to cognitive function, um, our ability to, uh, think coherently and to express those thoughts coherently are oftentimes not on par with each other. And, um, one of the first capacities to go is actually your, your capacity to, to communicate. It's not necessarily your capacity for clarity. Um, so, you know, my, my sense is, is Biden um, probably has enough clarity uh, to, to do his job or at least at the very least to recognize, um, you know, the genuine expertise that he would presumably surround himself with. Now, when we're talking about cognitive function, um, you know, I would challenge anyone to put up a, a, a Joe Biden speech transcript up against a Donald Trump speech. Transcript. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't worry about it because of that thing. Cause I'm like, well, who's on the other side? I'm like, ain't no room to talk um, in that, in that capacity. And I, I mean, I do think that something's, the question is like, well, how much is there a cognitive decline there? You know, it seems like there's a little something there, which is really natural that can happen. And I have a lot of compassion, you know, my grandma passed from Alzheimer's. Mm. And uh, so I don't like just not just shit talking by it. I'm like, it's just obvious. Like if it was my grandma, I'd be, I have compassion for that. Um, but as long as it doesn't, as long as we don't see any like significant increase in that, then I don't, I'm not really that worried because like, again, Trump isn't in my opinion, super rocking out in that department to where like the comparison will hurt Biden in terms of elections uh, being elected. Yeah. But Very stable genius. I mean, you know, I think that the, the sad thing to come out of all this and, and I do think it probably does come down to the fact that, you know, we're tired of, um, hyper amounts of uncertainty and therefore we're consolidating around a known quantity which is which is joe biden but it makes me sad that you know i mean look how diverse that field was in those debate stages um and we had some you know there was some good i think rigorous competition up there but we had you know we had we had uh, cory booker and kamala harris i think that's the that's the that's the thing that's really disappointing to me is like where the where the debates started the like the passion out of all the candidates, the the policies, everything was just like hoorah! You know, I was excited and just mm-hmm. in general. And then to where it came to, I think that's the thing that people aren't going to forget. I, regardless of what we think about what the next step is, like oh maybe Biden is a better step or not. I think people are are fed up in this way, and that's not even reactive. Like it's just like really like how many people about faced from the from what they said their policies were to now. Mm-hmm is ridiculous it's yeah. just overt and that's it's too bad because there was such great energy where it was like wow we got a debate full of people saying a lot of awesome things it was really encouraging so i think that disappointment isn't going anywhere regardless if we feel like 
Biden is a great step or Sanders is a great step, like how the debates unfolded and mm-hmm. where they got to and where the candidates, I know today people are pointing out like on Daily Show and of, of Kamala Harris, you know, and, uh, and Cory Booker, what they said they're, they're, and how they criticized Biden in really big ways in debate and then come back around like Biden's awesome. Right. It's like, how do we reconcile that? It's like, okay, cool. You know, maybe that's the right strategy, but we're not going to, I mean, we can't forget what people say and what they do. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to remember too, is that there's a difference between the candidate and the platform. And when you have it, when you have debates, you know, I mean, obviously that's candidate versus candidate comparing and contrasting their individual policies against each other. But out of that sort of nexus between them all emerges the platform. And right now, Joe Biden, which fair enough, he's a moderate Democratic center. I totally agreed. He's running with the most progressive Democratic platform, I believe, in the history of the Democratic Party. And that's largely because of the discourse that was allowed to take place on stage, which reshapes and stretches the platform in all sorts of new and novel. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's that's the opportunity. That's how that's how these candidates can sort of, you know, um, compete with each other and then enfold with each other. Well, you know, I think the level the, of, the, of the platform and the criticism there wasn't isn't necessarily about like uh, should they not support Biden, but like that they should acknowledge that like hey, I had my differences and I still do, and this is the best option. That yeah. would and, and on that hand that would be really powerful. But they haven't super acknowledged that, which feels the integrity around it. Mm. It feels a little strange to me, and I think to some people. But it's like we all. I think most of us get that. Like we have to make compromise, and yep. we have to like figure out, figure out how to take the best steps forward. Yep. Well, and you know, and I think the final point I want to make about yeah. the politics stuff, Ryan, is that yeah. um, we have to remember that there is a population on both the left and on the right for whom uncertainty is the point. They, they want more uncertainty. They yeah, want well, for sure. disruption. They're accelerationists right. or, or what have you. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they're, they're basically trying to plant the seeds for chaos and disruption. And that's not even necessarily a bad thing. I mean, like yeah. I said, we need just enough disruption to keep us moving forward and not stagnating. Yeah. Um, but I think that this is, is something that um, the Democratic Party really needs to find a way to, you know, it's a needle the Democratic Party needs to find a way to thread. Because on the left, I mean, it's pretty much like 60-40 maybe, maybe 65-35, something like that, of people who want, you know, a return to an Obama era status mm-hmm. quo, just to have that again, that, that return to familiarity yeah. and certainty. Yeah. Versus the people who really do just want to throw a wrench in the machine so that some, we can burn something down and then build something in its place. And that's, that's the current that got Trump. I mean, that's the current of populism in general. Populism yeah, is well, anti-status quo. And one thing some people might say, and I, I, for me, I've been, it's been changing, is like burn something down or is something already being burned down? That's right. And that's the question there too. And, and also I noticed like in the exiting polls and stuff that under 40 is quite a bit different than over 40. And of course we know the younger population goes out, doesn't vote as much, but it seems pretty clear that um, the young under 40 people were much more wanting a progressive uh, platform. So there might be some of this stuff that's just like passing of time. Yep. We have a few other people um, in, the, in the YouTube chat. Someone said, Greg, uh, can you give any tips to stay embodied and calm while loved ones are panicking due to Corona's coronavirus situation and perhaps assist others to calm down themselves i go back to you know what i said in the beginning is like first and foremost there's there's two options one is is to acknowledge what's going on like to really acknowledge it that sometimes actually helps calming down rather than trying to ignore it you know for example to say like i'm freaking out right now 
that actually can be really useful to say like, man, I notice I'm freaking out about this thing rather than being like, don't freak out, just calm down. Like that uh, usually is counter counterproductive. So you can do that. But then also like simple settling practices, like the mindfulness of breath embodiment where you're not focused on anything in particular, but you're just trying to regulate your system. So anything um, that is regulatory in the emotional nervous system can be really helpful. And there are just mm-hmm. a ton out there. A lot of mindfulness practices are, are geared towards that. So I don't know. That's my general. Um, well, that's a great response. No. And, and I think empathy really is, is, is key there because um, you know, when it comes to Corona, I see it out there and I see it in myself. Right. I mean, I've got a, a vulnerable kid who goes to a public yep. school and, you know, so, I mean, I find myself oscillating between these dual responses of, of fragility. Um, oh my God, I need to pull her out of school right now. We need to avoid contact because, yeah. you know, she's going to be a canary in the coal mine here. Yeah. Um, versus resilience. Like, no, this is going to be fine. In fact, the statistics are clearly demonstrating that this does not affect kids under the age of 10. Mm. Bring in all this sort of, you know, mm. analysis in um, that makes me feel more resilient. Well, the, the anti-fragile response is probably bringing both in and bringing both together mm-hmm. in a certain kind of way. There is definitely a, you know, good reason to be cautious just because we haven't seen those numbers affecting children underneath 10 doesn't mean we're not going to. Sure. Um, yep. You know, we don't know a hundred percent that all of these uh, statistics, statistics are being presented in good faith or accurately. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of unfortunate yeah. that, um, we have to, you know, not have the fullest trust in our own government to tell us the truth when it comes to these things, let alone the Chinese government. Um, so, I mean, you know, you got to make enough room for that yeah. uncertainty to say, okay, I, you know, I, I might have to make some very, very fast decisions in the moment. On the flip side of that, <clears throat> I get really sort of upset. When I see people saying things like, you know, this isn't a big deal. This is just the flu. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the trigger, you know, this only affects, guys, this only affects old people and the immunocompromised. What are you worried about? And I'm just like, you have yeah. friends, yeah. right? You have friends and family who are elderly. I mean, you're basically talking about my parents and my kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm not supposed to feel, you know, yeah. sort of threatened by that. That's, uh, yeah, that's what I was saying. And resilience that, you know. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that would be the other flip side. It's like, well, if I say, well, how can I help other myself or other people calm down? The question is, is like, what are we seeing? You know, so if we see somebody who's like freaking out to the degree that like they're not able to function, for example, right? Okay, well, that's different. But if like you are expressing legitimate concern, I don't hear you being like going off the rails. You're just like taking in serious consideration that like, hey, I'm really genuinely concerned. Mm-hmm. I'm upset. I'm anxious. Like those all seem like really valid responses. So like the most, my response isn't necessarily like, well, don't feel those things, Corey, or, yeah. how, you know, it's like more of like, yeah, like how can I help respond to that with you? And how can I help you support you to, you know, stay strong and, and, and to, to be resilient through it, you know? that's a different response. I I, I mean, you know, let me tell you, first off, I don't think there's even a single instance in all of human history when telling someone calm down actually works. (laughs) I don't think it's ever happened. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that the person who asked the question, I'm not saying that that's what they were implying there, but you know, extrapolating here that what could be. (laughs) But I'll simply say that, that having someone just say to me, Hey, I understand you, you must be kind of terrified by this. Just that, 
is yeah. enough to to you know allow me to settle a little bit because it's it's less like what you know yeah. raise, i'm waving flags here guys i mean i've yeah. got legitimate reason to be concerned and just to have someone acknowledge that like no fear is real right yeah fears fears i mean it's 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 valuable it's here for a reason it, it keeps you aware um and just you know i i think that acknowledging that and and the people who you know do feel something um yeah uncomfortable around all of this is is tremendously helpful it's a little bit of empathy that allows them to calm down and then you can kind of you know pull yeah right totally and again quote silver lining uh, for some of the stuff is I, I i'm it's like the most i've ever heard americans talk about general good practices for floozies where i'm like hey let's just do this all the time sounds good I'm hoping we return to like bows and curtsies, but we should put a new gender spin on it where it's oh. basically whoever bows first receives a curtsy. So if a woman comes up to you I and bows it. to you, Ryan, you've got a curtsy. I'll curtsy. I love I, it. I hope I'm going to, I'm going to hope that people bow to me <laughs> that I can, so I can curtsy. Uh, okay. Well that, I think we responded to that one. Uh, I just want to mention that Greg also says nice woodwork, Corey. Uh, he did say that. I want to thank you. Can I, can I show people my, uh, before we get to the next question? I just want yeah. To show Peace. Uh, talk about a way to deal with uncertainty here's a ken wilber quote yeah that's a beautiful I'll, piece i love it i'll read it to you because and i think this is probably the ultimate um response to questions of uncertainty you know ken has used the metaphor before you know imagine you're you're having a dream and in that dream people are suffering um, children are starving and you are panicked and all you want to do is, is, you know, reduce suffering for those people in your dream. Well, you have two choices. You can either, you know, spend your time feeding dream food to dream people and helping them out of their dream suffering. Um, or you can wake up. You can just wake up and all that suffering goes away in a flash. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the state that he describes as one taste. And, mm. uh, in this quote, <clears throat> this is the world of one taste with no inside and no outside, no subject and no object, no in here versus out there, without means, without path, and without goal. And it's gorgeous. And it's also Beautiful. without certainty and without uncertainty. I love it. Yeah. Um, Audacitrice <laughs> wants to know vice president considerations. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously it sounded like Biden was, um, Stacey Adams was pretty Abrams? hardcore. Up. Abrams, sorry. Stacey Abrams was up uh, pretty hardcore for that. I, that would, I, I have to do more research, but, uh, what I know, it sounded like that would be pretty amazing. Uh, I, I, I think Warren, people are thinking about Warren maybe doing that, but I don't know that there was, I heard some stuff today that maybe sound like that Biden maybe wouldn't consider for that position, but maybe another one, but I don't know. Yeah. Everyone seems to be gunning for her. She was, uh, she was, she was pretty popular in, in people's VP. You know, I think the thing to remember about VP is it's all optics. Yeah. It's, it's so optics. hard to know like what people, they don't do anything. Yeah. They have no real job function, which is but why when, will. when people say like, I want Bernie, to pick Elizabeth Warren. I'm like, well, why? I mean, I want her to have a position with actual teeth where she can do something, you know? Um, VP is, is basically, you're there to kind of negotiate on behalf of, I've seen I'll, enough Veep. I know what, 
Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I would say though that like, I think though, I mean, I agree. And that's like the more like logical, rational, just like that's just true. VPs don't do very much. But I suspect in this election that whoever, v, depending on who the VP is, it could have impact voter turnout just because people yep. aren't necessarily does. thinking like, you know, if, uh, yeah, depending who's in there, that could just like really charge people up and say, oh, okay, cool. It's both of these people that I'm voting for. Oh, so for me, for me, I would like somebody in there who, who charges, gets people uh, riled up and want to want to get out and vote. So yep. other than that, like, I'm not, because I know like, yeah, the VP doesn't do too much. That's my only criterion right now is just like, does it inspire people to, to get out and, and really vote? Oh, so, I mean, you know, and I don't mean to say when I say the Veep doesn't do anything, that doesn't mean it's not an important pick because optics are important. But I you're mean, not picking them based off of what things they're, you know, policies and strategies per se. You know. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you you have to realize that when it comes to your VP pick, it has nothing to do with platform or policy. It's purely personality. Um, yeah. and that, and I think that that's you know, I mean, we had another question here. Um which I think makes that point for me, Biden is the most progressive candidate. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Biden, who is the least progressive candidate, might have the best shot of enacting policies that progressives would favor, simply because he might have, there's a damn good argument to make, he has the best chance of beating Trump and has the least deleterious effect on down ballot tickets. You know, it sounds like I, I would, I'm, I'm going to put words in your mouth a little bit here, but like as first steps towards that, like as, as moving, moving the, the ball forward in a progressive agenda, because I think maybe somebody hearing that would be like, is he going to implement something incredibly radical, like metal, Medicare for all kind of situation? doesn't sound like he's going to do that or even approach no. that. Right. But that doesn't mean he might not move the ball forward. And that might no. be like a, yeah. That's right. I mean, you know, I mean, you got Joe Biden talking about the Green New Deal um, favorably. So, I mean, that's again, he's the, he's there. Um, it's the personality and the platform. And we need to pay as much attention to the platform as we are to the personality. Biden might be the person best suited to enact the Democratic Party's platform, uh, especially if his nomination means we have a better chance of winning the Senate. Uh, and keeping the house, um, so we might uh, having a Democratic president choose again the replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg is definitely in a progressive's uh, best interest. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I think Biden is more progressive than Bernie. No, almost certainly not. Um, although Biden's probably more progressive than Bernie on guns, um, which is not a stance I necessarily agree with. Hmm. We're gonna find out. Uh, guest Allen says, Ryan, this is a good question for you, man. Uh, please say a bit more about the application of one taste to the scourge of insecurity in so many aspects of our social lives at the moment. Where do you see that question at? That's on Nineveh Live. Oh, uh, say it one more time. Please say a bit more about the application of one taste to the scourge of insecurity in so many aspects of our social lives at the moment. So how can one taste help in your, in your, well, group? it goes back to what I said. And I think that's a great question. Like, mm-hmm. and actually what I would say is like questions like that can be turned into practice. Like we can sit with inquiry. Like I was talking about before you, you just sit with that and let a response arise, like to trust your own experience to, to have a response, but to go through it because sometimes the response might, might be, it doesn't. That might be a momentary response in this moment has nothing to do with it. Doesn't in the next moment has everything to do. So I encourage that just sit with questions. Um, but for me, again, 
uh, it does two things. One, it puts us, gives us much more room radically to allow experience. So that's what the hurts more bothers you less. That happens because there's more space because one, we can um, identify subjectively, consciously with radical spaciousness, which is part of one taste. But then also it can help us um, to be more intimate with what's arising, which is the hurts more bothers you less bit. So if I can taste that one taste and everything, then why would I exclude why would I like actively like exclude or partition off my experience if I can sense that um, uh, permeating everyone and everything? And especially with, with beings <laughs> uh, and humans, uh, it can also really deepen and elicit compassion, you know, and, and also sharing that room with others that I, I, I allow that room to be there with other people. And when I respond to them that I don't have to like fill that space up or collapse it or again, partition it. So, you know, it's interesting, like going for that path of, uh, in the experience of one taste at first, you're like, I can't pay attention to any one thing in the practice mm -hmm. because then I'm not, I'm going to miss the one taste of everything. Um, so it's a sort of this paradox, you know, that at first I'm going to sort of ignore the form of everything in that practice so that I can taste the one taste, but that doesn't mean that that's where it stops, you know? That's beautiful. Yeah, response. No, and I, you know, it's, um, I think one of the things I love about the hurts more bothers you less um, paradox, because it really is a paradox, is that it's suggesting simultaneously that there is more space, but less separation. Yeah. You know, which is fucking profound. Um, and I think that, that by cultivating a familiarity with one taste, um, yeah, we, we, we no longer feel like we're being affected by these things because these things are no longer coming from outside of ourselves. You know what I mean? All, yeah. of, the, all of that is now on the sort of the inside of our face, right? Yeah. Um, and then that allows, I think, for more of a dance because there is that much more um, intimacy and familiarity. And uh, even with your own sensations, whether they be hope or fear or joy or pain, what have you, all of it sort of just freely self-liberates um, yeah. in that space. Mm. And it, it, I think, you know, again, with my experiences of, of, of dealing with types of trauma that really, I, I think, force you into that anti-fragile space, there's simply something that feels infinitely more ancient than myself mm. that comes online right that just that just shows up um and allows sort of you know the brokenness and the fears and all of the insecurities and the uncertainties to kind of subside a little bit and you mm -hmm. start to experience all of that as being just part of this this alchemy of experience that we're that we're walking through you know moment to moment mm -hmm. and it you know it also helps us i think refrain from casting um judgments sort of dualistic judgments you know because obviously usually in our experience pain bad pleasure good mm -hmm. um but i think in reality that that's that's not necessarily true pleasure can stagnate and pain can provoke growth mm -hmm. um you know oftentimes profound growth yeah. um so i think that that you know inhabiting this one taste experience um allows you to really pull all of this together um, into a more, you know, just again, just on the level of, of like your own nervous system, it feels easier to, 
to kind of manage and modulate um, the many, many, many reactions that are, you know, elicited up and down your system mm -hmm. whenever you're faced with genuine uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one more thing on that uh, in terms of like the we space, uh, something that I feel like I can drop into now, um, even though this will fluctuate is that let's take something like for those of us who did really dislike Trump, we can say, well, who voted for Trump? Well, I didn't vote for Trump. The, the we that I'm a part of didn't vote for Trump, right? My friends and close people, we didn't vote for him. But there's another part of that we, we elected yeah. him. Mm -hmm. And that, that now like, what does, it, what does that mean? We did, but like, there's a sense of it, like where I don't completely separate myself out from that, you know? Right. And doesn't mean that I'm not pissed off or upset about it, but there's something that softens and heartache and tenderness and just gets in there. And it changes how I respond to that because it's like, I didn't. Yeah. But we did. I'm a part of that. We, we, we share something in common, especially in this country, in this world. So like all the problems that we have, there's something helpful for me to, to drop into that one taste and say, like, we did this. We, this is we. Right. That's such an important point because there's a, um, a seduction, I think that comes with righteous anger right? Where when we see someone do something that is so completely against our principles or our core values or what have you, we feel like this, this space opens up in, inside of us where we feel like I can be righteously angry at you. And even I can say, you know, harmful things, hurtful things um, out of that space. And I'm damn it, I'm justified because yeah. how dare you not support Medicare? Don't you care about all those dying yeah. you know and then we straw yeah. it out and all that yeah. and we lose that connection when that happens we lose the fact that like okay you know 40 some odd percent of the electorate made a decision to pull the lever for a certain candidate in 2016 why did they make that decision all right yeah. what is going on in their lives that actually made them allowed them to make a decision that you just so completely disagree with with every fiber mm -hmm. of your being and yet can you understand? Can you actually cultivate enough empathy to be like, okay, so what is it about the way things were going that made you want to, um, you know, just kind of throw a, a, a wrench into the system knowingly, yeah. consciously, right? What, what was the result that you were hoping for? Chances are the results they were hoping for is, is actually more aligned with your core values than not. Because largely we're coming from the same place. Largely we want to go in the same direction. We just have very, very different ways of getting there. Um, yeah. And I think getting into that process and inquiry, like you just laid out, like at a deeper level, like working with one taste can, that's almost sometimes a first step in a certain way of like that it widens the scope of what I will consider in my experience. Like you said earlier, it broadens what we include into it. Because if it's not included, it's going to be really hard to be intimate with that and to wonder in the way you just said. <laughs> yep. Well, and Jane says, life is full of uncertainty, man being full of ego, which brings us back to, I think, the point we made at the very beginning of the show is that, yeah, that's kind of the job of ego. The job of ego is to eat chaos and entropy and excrete order, right? This brings us back to our, our lovely little bidet conversation uh, a few minutes ago. But that's, I mean, that's what the ego does. I mean, the ego takes in chaos and, and projects order. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's basic. I mean, this is where our entire survival instinct comes from. Mm. Yes. So 
now what? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question, huh? I'm uncertain, yes. brother. I know. Well, maybe I think uh, we had a good spot here. I don't know. Maybe to yeah to let this hang. No, like, I'm glad. I'm glad people popped on for some little comments and questions. That was nice yeah. to have at the end. Yeah, I really, I, I am too. Um, so thank you everyone for joining us, and I hope you guys can join us again in uh, a month for the next episode of Inhabit. And uh, yeah, and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to dive into as well. Yep. Yep. We we always want new topics. Yeah. Um, and the more they can come from you guys, the better, because then we know we are, we're actually speaking to things that are important to you. Yep. Not just important to us. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, Ryan, what a great conversation, buddy. Yeah, that was really fun. That was uh, needed, and I'm glad we were able to do it. I feel a, a little bit better, you know, going, I do too. going into my day right now. I do too. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right, man. Well, hey, I love you, buddy. Love you too, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.